We're going to be in Colossians tonight. We're just continuing right along with our Colossians study, which is entitled Christocentric. It means Christ at the center. And we saw that really heavily at the first half of the book, and particularly in Colossians chapter 2, Paul really drove the point home that Everything is Christ-centered. Everything revolves around Christ. Everything is through Christ and for Christ. And all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. And he really uh, brought that home in chapter 2. And then here at the beginning of Colossians 3, he goes on to say, All right, if you who are in Christ have followed Jesus Christ and are trusting Him, and He is at the center of your life, then... You need to live like it. He needs to be your life. All that you do should be for Him. He is at the center of your life. He is your life. And you are a new creation. You are put off the old things. And he says, don't do all that sinful stuff you used to do. But instead, he says, put on the new stuff. Put on the good stuff. Put on the compassion and the love and the gentleness and the kindness and all those kind of things like what we see in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul tells us to do those things. And so we are Christ-centered, a new creation that has put off the old and put on the new. And that's what we've seen through this point in the book of Colossians. And we pick up tonight in Colossians 3, verse 18. Colossians 3, verse 18. And he just gives some more real basic and simple and brief instruction about other specific areas of our life, in particular areas of our family life and, and relationships that we may have with others. Uh, and that's what he talks about here very briefly at the end of chapter 3 and on into the very beginning of chapter 4. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's pray, and then we will jump in. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for a good night. I thank you for all these good folks that are here, and I pray that you bless them through your word, dear Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak something to us in these verses that we need to hear. And God, help me to do a good job. And in all my weaknesses and inabilities, God, I pray that you just work tonight and speak through me as I open my mouth, and I pray it'll be for your glory. And I pray that you just help us to leave here blessed by being in your house and being in your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Now, we see Paul say similar words in Ephesians where he's talking about the wife's submissiveness to the husband and the husband's ability to sacrifice and to provide for the wife. This is a, a, a theme that we see on a few occasions here in the, in the New Testament, and these are important things for us to remember. Those of us who are married or who one day may be married, we need to remember that, one, God needs to be at the center of our marriages, at the center of our relationships. And if we are going to put God at the center and listen to what God says and what God's Word says, then we need to understand how God intends for marriage to be. And God has placed the man as the head of the household, to be the provider and the protector of the household, to take care of the wife. And Paul says here, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And this verse is often 
uh, misused. It's often abused by men who are on a power trip who don't want to be leaders of their household but instead want to be dictators of their household. There's a big difference between someone who is leading and someone who is dictating. Uh, We can see that on a political scale with leaders in our world. There are good leaders, presidents, leaders, whatever you want to call them in different areas, and some of them are good, and it's a blessing to the people. We see other leaders in the world who are not leaders but instead are dictators, and often, well, I would say always throughout history and even now, dictators abuse their people. They abuse their power. They're on a power trip. Now, that's not when God calls us men to be the head of the household, when he gives us that responsibility. That's not the attitude we should have. He says here, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, if you love your wives and take care of her, chances are she's going to be submissive to you as is fitting to the Lord. Uh, When we see this word submissive, It may often be misused, but perhaps a better way for us to to think about this first, and it doesn't say this word in there, but but maybe it's a good way for us to think about it, is to use the word supportive. Wives, be supportive to your husbands. Wives, support your husband. Be there for your husband. Don't give your husband a hard time. Let your husband lead the household. Let the man who God has called to lead your household lead your household. And listen to him. If he's doing the best he can do, and even when he's not always doing the best he can do, even when sometimes he does things that maybe weren't the right decision, let him know you love him. Let him know you support him. Let him know you stand by him. You know, men need that. Men need to be needed, especially in our modern world. Women may say, I don't need a man, but that's not true either. Women need men, maybe more than they realize, and men need women. And the truth of the matter is, women, as as us men, we need to feel needed. We like to be able to come to the rescue. We like to be able to be called upon. We like to be able to take care of you and to be there for you. God has put that in us, I think. That's part of us being created in the image of God as men. We have that desire, I believe, in general, for the most part, men have the desire to take care of their wife, and they like to know that they have taken care of their wife and taken care of their family, and protected them. And so let your husband do that. Ask him for help even if you may not really need it. Ask him to help you. It may make him feel good. may make him feel like he's doing what the Lord's called him to do. And that's what we want. So women, be submissive, be supportive, be there for your husband, and let him lead you. And pray for him that he would lead you good. And pray for him that he'd be a good husband. And encouraging, because he may need some encouragement sometimes. That's what marriage is. It's encouragement between the husband and the wife, both to each other. And then he says in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Some translations, some of your translations may say, don't be harsh toward them. Sometimes the responsibilities and and the weight and the things that come, come with marriage and being married sometimes can be difficult. And even men who don't have a dictatorship mentality, well, they still may be a little too hard on their wives from time to time. So we need to make sure, men, that we are leading our family and we are there for our wife 
And we are sacrificing for our wife. We are putting our wife's needs ahead of ours. We are doing what she needs. We are there for her. We let her know we're there for her. We try to take care of her in all the ways we can in the best ways that we can. And we need to remember this verse, men. Don't be harsh to your wife. Don't be bitter toward them. And now, it's not always easy in marriage. It may not always be easy to support your husband, women. Your husband may not always do what he should. And husbands, it may not always be easy to love your wife. There may be times that you, you get aggravated with her. After all, we see several times in the Proverbs verses like these from Proverbs 25, 24 that says, Better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a nagging wife. And so being married is not always an easy thing, men. And there are lots of verses along those same lines. Uh, one of them is uh, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. It says, An endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife for a light. I heard an endless dripping last night. It was some water dripping somewhere, and I think it was hitting the top of the metal on the, on the air conditioner, and all night I heard drip, 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 and I was thinking, man, I wish that would stop. And then when I was studying, I come across this verse, and I said, well, I understand that because I know what it's like for an endless drip. You want that drip to stop. And so there are times as husbands that we are not the men we should be, and it, our wives may get aggravated with us. And there are times as wives that, Maybe instead of supporting your husband, you're nagging him a little too bit. And maybe both of us can look at these passages and we can see our areas of weakness and not just our spouses. That's the easy part, right, to see our spouses. Yes, you, you do that same thing, but maybe instead of pointing the finger, maybe we need to think about ourselves for just a moment and listen to what Paul says. What Paul says is he wants us to have good relationships in Christ. He's talking to Christians. He wants them to live like Christians. Well, what does it look like to live like Christians? Well, part of it is take the old self off and put the new stuff on. Another part of it is being a good husband and being a good wife, having a good family and good relationships. Paul says, make sure you're doing this, men and women. Then he goes on to say in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate, exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Now we see the relationship between husbands and wives. Now we see the relationship here between parents and children. Children, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. Praise the Lord. This, this is good. This is something that uh, as children we need to hear. Even as we grow up and we are older as children, even as teenagers, teenagers need to hear these words and remember these words, that it pleases the Lord to obey your parents. Now, I want to I stop here for just a second because the obvious thing that may come to mind when we think about this verse is something like, uh, if your parent tells you to clean your room, then you need to do it. Well, that's part of what this verse means. If your parent gives you a chore or asks you to do something or tells you not to do something, it is good to obey your parent. But something that may not be as obvious to us, but I feel is important that we consider in this verse, uh, especially for children who may be in an abusive situation. They may hear verses like these, and they may know their parents tell them to do all kind of things that may not be very good things, may be very evil things, and they may hear verses like these, and they may be hesitant to take any action or come forward and to seek help 
And I would say that if you, as a child, or you know any children who may be in those type of situations, that that's not what this verse is speaking about. Uh, Sadly, there are evil parents in this world. And sometimes parents tell their children to do things that are not godly, that are evil things. And in those situations, if you as a child or you know a child that is going through something like that, we need to be careful because it is very likely that there have been many evil parents throughout the years who have used this verse as justification for the ill treatment that they put their children through. And that is not God's intent or Paul's intent when he writes these words. He wants us to obey our parents in the right things that they tell us to do. That doesn't mean the things we don't like if they say we can't go out with our friends. Just because we don't like it, that doesn't mean it's the wrong thing. But we need to uh, pray that God would help those children who may be in situations that are not good situations and, and pray that folks will not twist this scripture. Parents won't to abuse children. And it goes on to say in verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Some of your translations there may say provoke. Don't provoke your children. Don't be hard on your children. Don't be tough on your children. Now that's not to say that children aren't to be disciplined and it's not right to discipline children in some instances. There are certainly instances where disciplining a child is the right thing to do. There are times where children have to be punished. And so when it talks here about not provoking a child or not being too hard on a child, Paul's not saying don't punish a child when it's necessary, but he's saying don't overpunish, don't beat, don't, don't, don't poke your child, don't prod your child, don't stir your child up to anger, don't discourage your child. Man, that's a bad thing when you see a parent that is not taking care of their kids and abusing their kids. I saw a I saw a, a guy and a, and a young little girl, cute little girl, probably wasn't, but maybe three, four years old, at, eat, eating lunch somewhere the other day, and he took her out in the parking lot in the, in the edge over there and was going to let her play. And I said, oh, that's great. That's a nice dad. They're waiting on their food. He's over there playing with his little girl. Well, they come back and sit down, and it wasn't 30 seconds later, son. He started cussing her like a dog right there in front of everybody. Well, that's not good parenting. That's not the way, parents and grandparents, that we are to raise our children. That's what Paul is talking about. Don't don't provoke your kids. Don't be hard on your kids. Don't be rough on your kids. Don't discourage your kids. But encourage them. Yeah, correct them when they've done wrong, but keep them encouraged. Help them to, to grow. Help them to learn how to do things. Help them in their schoolwork. Help them with whatever it is that they're going through in life. Encourage them. That's what Paul is telling us to do here. Children, obey your parents, and parents, be good to your kids. He goes on to say, we've looked at the husband and wife relationship, the mother-father relationship with the children. Verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Now, We won't spend too much time on the first part of this verse tonight as it talks about slavery here. Uh, It's clear that we do see slavery uh, on several occasions throughout the Scripture, and particularly uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, we won't won't break down slavery in the Bible and what it looked like and and why uh, it it may have been allowed and, and, and how that is in many ways different 
from the slavery that we may be most familiar with here in the United States. Uh, oftentimes, slavery in the Bible was, was much different than that. Uh, it is clear through Scripture that the type of slavery that we may be familiar with, uh, with, with, with taking people against their will and forcing them to work and being abusive to them, God nowhere condones that kind of activity. He no, nowhere desires for that kind of activity. He does not desire for one human to mistreat another human. And even though we see slavery mentioned, it's not that God condones the evil actions that we may sometimes associate with slavery. We're not going to talk much about slavery tonight. However, this passage is in the context of slavery, but we're going to look at it outside of the context of slavery. Now, now just know when you study and read that the verses that follow are speaking about in that slavery context, but, but I think that it's applicable to us even if we pull the words that are about to be said out of the slavery context, they still apply to us today, even if we may not be enslaved. The words that Paul speaks are applicable to our lives and how we work and how we live. He says, don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Now, when we work, we should, we should work. We shouldn't lollygag. We shouldn't play around. We shouldn't wait until somebody's coming and say, oh, somebody's coming. They may see me. Let me, let me look like I'm working. Let me look like I'm busy. And the chances are we, we may all have been guilty of that at some point in time in our life. But when we're working, when we're doing something, whatever it is we're doing, we should do a good job. Even if nobody else is watching, we should be fearful of the Lord, knowing that the Lord is watching and it goes on to say in verse 23 whatever you do do it enthusiastically as something done for the lord and not for men now that's a good word for us to consider tonight whatever you do do it enthusiastically now i don't know about you but not everything i do i'm enthused about have you ever had to do something that you didn't want to do and you just did it and you just you just you just moaned and groaned and you slouched and sit down and you didn't care and somebody asked you for help and you just got up and you were slinging and throwing and doing? Y'all have never done that before. I have done that before. That's not working enthusiastically. But the truth of the matter is there are times that we have to do things that we may not want to do. So how are we supposed to do them? Well, we got to say, all right, Lord, what do you call us to in Colossians chapter 3? You tell us that whatever we do, do it enthusiastically. Now, what is, the, what is the reason for our enthusiasm? How can we get enthused about things that we are not enthused about? We need to remember who we are doing it for. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. Somebody may need some help. Get together at church and say, so-and-so needs some help. Y'all come help. Say, I don't want to go. I don't like them. I'm going to go. I've got to go with the church thing. Go help them out. That's not the attitude God wants us to have. We need to say, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing it for men. I'm not doing it for somebody, whether they've been good to me, bad to me. Whatever that is, dear Lord, I forgive them, and I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to work, and I'm going to work hard because, God, I'm working for you. I'm not working for men. And that's what Paul says here. This is what we need to remember. Verse 24, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. 
for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. And there is no favoritism. So Paul says, look, do things enthusiastic. Work for the Lord. Know that you are working in service to the Lord. And don't fret. Your work is not going to go unnoticed. God will, at the proper time, he is going to reward you. Now, we need to be careful. We don't ever want to fall into the trap of saying, God, I'm going to do this work because I want this to happen. And if I do this, God, I expect you to do this. That's not how God works. That's not to say that God does not bless us or take care of some of the things that we may need and maybe even some of the things we want. But our heart should not be, God, I'm going to work for you so you can work for me. God has already done the work for us. Jesus has already served us as Lord and Savior by giving his life on the cross. His time of service and his days of work are over. His day of work was over when he was nailed to the cross and resurrected. It is us who serve the Lord. It is us who work for the Lord. That is the reason why we can be enthusiastic, that we can get up every morning and we can breathe, that we can know that our sins are forgiven. God, things aren't going my way. I don't like what I'm having to do, but God, you've given me a job. you give me an opportunity. You've given me grace through Jesus Christ. I am going to work enthusiastically for you. And one day, God is going to reward our good work. Praise the Lord. Sometimes he rewards us here on earth in, in different ways. But we will one day be rewarded for all of eternity with rewards that we can't even begin to imagine. But what about the one who does not work for the Lord? What about the one who does not do right? Well, for the wrongdoer, they will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Now, that, that's just kind of a stuck right in there at the very end, but that's an important truth that we see in Scripture that we need to remember, is that there is no favoritism among God. Now, we may be tempted as human beings to show favoritism to one person or another. There are some in this world that would show favoritism to one race or another or would show favoritism to some person because of something they could give to them or something they have done to them. <clears throat> but God does not show favoritism. And so as children of God, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we ourselves are not showing favoritism. God says, here's what's going to happen. Those who are obedient to me, they're going to get rewards. Those who are disobedient, well, they're going to suffer for their wrongdoing. God's not going to show any favoritism. God's going to judge us based on whether or not we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's going to be the determining factor. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how pretty you are. We may be convinced. We may see somebody, maybe our little grandkid comes up to us and they just look sad and they bat their eyes when they want something they shouldn't have and we give in, show favoritism in some way, let them off the hook a little bit, but that's not how God works. God says, look, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We follow Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, we receive grace. We don't. We suffer our wrongdoing, but there is no favoritism. We need to remember that about God, and we need to make sure that favoritism is not a part of our life. In chapter 4, verse 1, the last verse, <clears throat> Master, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Now, Paul kind of brings it all back home when he's talking about masters and slaves here. Now, we always see these, these connections between our relationship with God and our relationship as human beings. We see that connection in Ephesians 
with marriage. That, that who is the bride of Christ? It is us who are, who are Christians. It is the church. We are the bride of Christ. Who is the groom? It is Jesus. And that illustration is used to talk about earthly marriage, about hus- uh, earthly husbands and wives, that, that we are to follow that example that Jesus gave for us. As our grooms, husbands, that's how we are to act. Uh, as, as wives, we are to be submissive in the same way uh, that, that Christians are submissive to the church. And so there's those connections that are always made with human relationships and godly relationships. And that's what Paul does here when he talks about masters and slaves. Why are masters not to have that abusive dictator type uh, attitude and, and, and mistreat their slaves? Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair since you know that you have a master in heaven. Now, we are slaves of God. We are servants of God. We willingly choose to be slaves of God and servants of God. And what we have to do is look at how God treats us. How does God treat us? He treats us good. How good does he treat us? He treats us so good that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a pretty good master, is it not? A pretty good master who provides for our needs, who knows what we need before we ask it. This is the master that we serve. Is God unfair? Absolutely not. God is full of mercy and God is full of grace. No one will be able to stand before the Lord and say, God You are unfair. God, this is unfair that I'm going into the lake of fire for eternity. God, that's not fair. God is perfectly fair in all that he does. He is more than fair. So Paul says, look, masters, think about God and treat your servants the way God treats you. Be good to them. Provide for them. And oftentimes these slaves may have been working to pay off a debt or whatever it may have been and Paul says hey don't mistreat them be good to them treat them good now this is a good little section we looked at tonight to help us to look at and examine our own lives to see if we're doing okay as husbands or doing okay as wives are we doing okay as parents and are we doing okay as children now none of us are a master of any slaves I would hope But we do serve a master, our master and Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to be faithful servants to him. And in all we do, we want to be found faithful and working hard and working enthusiastically. And we may have to pray a lot for that because there may be some days that it's really hard for us to get our enthusiasm. But ask God to help you, and he'll help you. And we need to remember these things so that we can be the Christian men and women that Paul is calling us to and that God is calling us to. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for these words and this is good stuff. These are good areas of our life to examine and to explore and think about and I pray that you help us to be obedient to you and to put our faith in Jesus Christ that we can be that group who sees that reward that you have, God. And I pray that you would help us to never forget how great you have been to us and how fair you are and how you provide for us, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that we would be that way toward other people, that we would be fair, that we would be men and women of integrity, that we would hurt, uh, we would uh, do what's right by people, dear Lord, that we would not mistreat them, that we would not uh, 
act harshly toward them and that we would do all we can, dear Lord, uh, to live right by you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.